And now, a word from our sponsors. The Oyster Recovery Partnership is the nonprofit expert in Chesapeake Bay oyster restoration. The Oyster Recovery Partnership has planted more than 9 billion oysters on 3,000 acres of reef and recycled more than 250 bushels of shell. Everyone benefits from a healthy Chesapeake Bay. Poor water quality and declining habitats can be reversed. Oysters are the answer. Pescavore is packaged in a convenient single serving size with no refrigeration required until after opening. Pescavore is the perfect, healthy, and delicious snack for those on the go. Pescavore, tuna that travels. Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your oyster ninja. We're back with another fun episode. Um, this is actually something different it's you know it's related but it's a little different um i'm here today with matt uh matt nixon from muddy river farm aquaponics that's um, right and so i did something i haven't done in a while i actually did no research because i want to be a blank slate and i want to take all this in and answer those questions or ask those questions that I hope all you listeners want to hear. Um, Cause I know nothing about aquaponics. So let's get into it. What's going on, man? How you feel? Oh, pretty good. And yourself, sir. I'm good, man. I good. Um, you say you've been busy. You did a uh, radio interview this morning and now you're on with the Oyster Ninja worldwide, man. How does that feel? It feels pretty good. It's been uh, quite a rush the last couple of weeks. That's for sure. That article certainly yeah. has legs. And even still, like, that's how I found you. It was an article. I hit you up. As soon as I saw that uh, that article, I was like, oh, there, there it is. There's the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell me about Muddy River, man. Like, how did you get into this this lifestyle? Ah, it is a lifestyle. That's a good way to put it. Um, 2019, I started uh, growing rainbow trout uh, in a barn in my backyard, which I'm sitting in right now. Um, and uh, using that to grow lettuce, tomatoes, and a greenhouse that's attached. And I started thinking about saltwater recirculation. Uh, certainly not the first person to look at it. Um, Maine has at least four different facilities up here that all use flow through seawater systems. So they take water in from the ocean and use that to grow stuff on land. Um, but I wanted to take that the next step up and that is uh, trying to make something closed loop. Um, as you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the ocean right now in terms of uh, temperature fluctuations, acidification. Uh, the Gulf of Maine up here is really subject to uh, the warming trends in particular, uh, which brings with it all sorts of nasty stuff, um, algae blooms, uh, invasive species. So trying to control that environment a bit more um, in terms of a closed loop system was sort of the goal for me. And uh, the system itself is made from 3D printed sustainable materials, essentially the stuff that, uh, you know what a wood pellet is? You ever seen that wood pellet stove? Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's, it's the same stuff that goes into that. It's wood flour. It's the stuff you sweep off the floor of like a lumber yard. Um, and it's uh, combined with a bioresin that the University of Maine came up with and used in a 3D printing process to come up with the stuff sitting behind me to my right. All right, let's 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 go back a little bit because you done blew my mind already. And when I say blow my mind, I mean you done confused the heck out of me is what i mean really. <laughs> no worries I, so let, let's let's go back so you had a farm already right i was growing trout 
Correct. You were growing trout. How did why why'd you start growing trout? Like what what is like the so, way I put it is like an average person doesn't say, you know what? <laughs> it's time to grow some fish. <laughs> this is true. Um prior to this, I worked for the state of Maine in marine resource management for eleven years. So got a pretty up close and personal look at some of the resource issues that were happening up here. Um and uh you know, major species like lobster heading north because of warming waters. I mean, we've essentially fished out all of our our big fish in the Gulf of Maine, like cod, they're all gone. Um, so one of the ways I think moving forward, people still want protein, right? Um, so salmon, uh, Maine has a large, I think four or five different proposals up here for upland salmon farms. Um, I took a different tack. I started looking at trout uh, and I had been working on at the same time, sort of this this concept for an upland oyster machine is part of my dissertation um, and my PhD. And uh, they sort of went hand in hand and uh, the trout paid for my overhead for the first couple of years. Um, and that's now sort of taking a back seat to the oyster production piece. Nice, so are you saying like the, are the oysters, not, I mean, not getting your wallet, but are the oysters making more than the trout? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Good to know that. Um, so what I hear is basically you were thinking forward. We we have this issue with um, you know, supply. So I'm gonna be the supplier. So how hard was it to start even the um the trout farm, like far as like permits and like is that a hard process? I mean, I know you had a kind of an upper hand because you were in the system, you might know some people, have connections, know know what line to get into. Now, for, uh, for aquaponics, you really don't need a whole lot because, again, it's a closed-loop system. You're not actually putting anything out into the environment. Um, so there's no discharge of water or anything like that. And even if there was, the water from my tanks, I can use it on my garden uh, because it's really it's nutrient-rich, uh, very fertile stuff, um, and it's non-toxic. So you don't need a ton of permits for that. You need to be able to have a permit for holding fish in tanks. Um, there's only three different hatcheries in the state I can purchase uh small fish from uh, to raise in my tanks and uh really that's it uh you just need to have a basic understanding of how water flows through pipes all right that's uh i got a little experience with that um next what is aquaponics aquaponics is pretty much what we just talked about which is okay. growing fish on one end they provide the nutrients uh for plants so you don't need to put any fertilizer or any type of stuff in the water because the fish are providing that fertilizer naturally right and so that was that's why the company is actually is called muddy river farm aquaponics um the oyster stuff i'm doing is not aquaponics it's something separate but it's similar gotcha, gotcha. so i guess that's the reason why i asked because when i think of aquaponics yes the closed loop of course but it's, you know, the closed loop with the plants coming out on sides and it's real cool. It's real cool. It's, you know, state of the art. Uh, so cool. All right. So, all right. What gave you the idea that this could even work for the oysters or did you have, did you see it done before or somewhere else? Um. Well, I was doing some research for my PhD and uh, I was reading this article from a dude down in Australia, um, pretty kooky guy who uh, had been looking at, uh, you know, couple of raceways in his backyard where he was growing oysters and he had been looking at water velocity and the impact that it has on like how oysters grow what their growth rate might be um and it was interesting stuff so i thought 
what if I transfer that to land, make uh, make a purpose-built system specifically for forcing feed through oysters um, to enhance their growth uh, and printing it because it was a lot cheaper um, and it's recyclable materials. It's not plastic that's going to be floating around in the ocean for the next thousand years. Um, so everything sort of came together pretty nicely um, and uh, started the design process back in 2020 and um, just printed our first commercial scale pods, which is what they're called oyster pods, uh, last fall, actually. So I've now got a backyard full of them uh, in preparation for moving to my new facility. And my wife is going to be ecstatic when I can finally get all that stuff out of the backyard. There we go. Oh, man. I'm happy for you, actually. <laughs> um, so how many um, how many drafts did you go through, like, far as, like, getting a design, right, something that will work and be sustainable for the long run? How, what did that look like? What did that process look like? Uh, I had four different prototypes. Uh, the first one was just a regular hydroponics tray that I had rigged up with um, a couple of, uh, you know, what a landscape waterfall uh, you know, you see a waterfall in somebody's backyard. It's usually this little black nozzle um, that has some baffles inside of it that make the water come out consistently. So I sawed that in half with a bandsaw and used that to sort of design what the outflow or the discharge would be in a hydroponic tray. Um, so I'd have consistent flow throughout the entire uh, tray. And from there, I wanted to build something out of steel and glass and concrete, traditional way. Um, but materials were incredibly expensive. And one of my dissertation members in Orono uh, is working on um, their, they have the largest 3D printer in the country up there. They printed a boat, they printed a house a couple months ago. Uh, it's pretty neat stuff. And when I was complaining about the, the cost of traditional materials, he just sort of looked at me and pointed and said, hey, we should print that. So we've been through an iterative process, um, making tweaks and uh, we're finally on the, the final version five, which is, I think, what I'm going to settle on for quite a while now, but it's been a process. It's been a ride. That's crazy, because when I think of 3D printed, 3D, something 3D printed, I don't think of it being functional. I just think of it being like a, a prototype. What's an example of like something else has been 3D printed, so I can kind of put an image to it, like you said it. You said a house. How the heck can you 3D print a house? Is that like a modular? That's not that's not the same thing, right? Because that's being built. So like what is a 3D print? Maybe I should have done some research. Maybe I should do a little bit. <laughs> so they have a a printer in a Umaine and Orno that is uh just huge. I mean it's literally made from um, an auto assembly line conveyor belt. Um and with a hopper that takes up half the room. The uh, process itself is just, I mean, you lay your base layer and then the printer goes back again and lays another layer and another layer. Um, and the real art to it is making sure that the temperature between the two layers is appropriate. So the top one is going to stick to the next one and so on. Um, when they first got this printer and they started printing my prototype, uh, the some of the results came out looking like a pile of poop uh, just because I hadn't gotten a whole temperature thing down um it's been a learning process for them as well but they've certainly mastered it um since and uh, the house that they printed is uh just unreal um it's a uh, three room we've got a living room with a kitchen inside of it a master bedroom and a bathroom um that can be added on because again it's printed so you can just make it bigger if you need to uh and they're trying to assist with some of the housing crisis uh, which 
certainly evident up here in Maine, but I know it's, you know, nationally it's a problem as well. I got another question because I was looking at your website now. Um, and it talks about the um, 3D printed bioplastic, but I thought you, what's the wood shavings and what's the bioplastic? Or would, can you explain that? Yeah, so the wood flower itself is just like a powder substance. Um, it needs a binder, and that's where the bioresin comes in. Um, it sort of, it binds everything together. All right, that makes sense. All right, so let's let's talk about it. We 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 talked about this stuff that I'm really I got to go back and do some research now. But let's talk about oysters because I know about that. Let's talk about some oysters. So pros cons. What what what's gonna set your um, I guess the oysters that you grow apart. Like uh, we were talking a little bit, but I want you to kind of go into it a little bit. Sure. Uh, so initially, like the first. Two or three years, um, I'm not, not actually going to be growing uh, oysters from scratch or anything like that. My business model relies on purchasing oysters, small size, like 12 millimeters, which is essentially the, the cap in Maine where it gets too expensive to keep them on land at that point. So I'm going to be uh, excuse me, buying oysters from farms um, around the state and then storing their products and growing it out over the winter uh, in my system. And at that point in March, um, I'll be selling it back to those farms for a small profit with fees like five, 10 cents, not a whole lot, uh, but it, it adds up. Um, I can fit about 20,000 oysters in one pod and I hope to have 74 of them set up in the barn, or excuse me, not in a barn anymore, in the building that I just bought, um, uh, ultimately uh, by year four. So in Northern latitudes, as you probably know, I mean, we don't have a lot, whole lot going on in the water column uh, in the winter. And so, um, the ability for farmers up here to have their product growing uh, during the six months when it's stupidly cold outside up here um, is a huge boon. Um, they'll not be starting from scratch uh, when they bring their cages up off the bottom in March. They'll have a nearly full-grown product that'll go back out on their lease for maybe a month, depending on how long they want it out there to take on that that flavor, like Glidden Point, for instance. You want that specific Glidden Point flavor. Um, and coming out of my system, it won't have much of a flavor uh, or it, it won't have the flavor that you're looking for when you think of like a mere point oyster versus a good point oyster versus a cotton bay oyster. You know, you just brought up something. So I guess, will you be feeding the oysters like a hatchery would like just, I guess, plankton and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, right now I buy, uh, it's called tetracellus paste. It's a type of phytoplankton. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to be doing that for the first year. Uh, the second year, I hope to start making my own feed. Um, it's not horribly difficult, but uh, if you lose a batch, it sets you back. So right. right now, I use a company out in Utah. They grow um, phytoplankton in the Great Salt Lake. It's pretty neat, uh, but uh, and it's relatively cheap. It's just shipping it across the country within 24 hours is the best problem. Okay, cool, cool, cool. That's 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 great. So, where will they be in process? Like, will they be ready to ship out if they want it to, or it all just depends? I would think at a minimum they would want to put them back out on their lease for maybe a month, uh -huh. um, just to so they can flavor them up. Um, right, but right. as part of the initial purchase contract, uh, they specify the size they want their their product grown to, and uh, that's what I target. Man, this is a game changer. 
this is how does it feel to be on the forefront like you're the leader of the new world the new <laughs> the, the new oyster world <laughs> well, like that no, there are other people I mean, who grow oysters on land up here and i mean it happens all over the country too well the i'm talking to you though all right fair enough <laughs> <laughs> the big difference is i don't bring water in from the ocean right um and the system is custom built for oyster growth um it's not just you know throwing oysters in a tank and letting them sit there um this is an active feeding system. Nice. So, so what what are your goals? I mean, I, I hear a lot of you. You know, you got you pretty much got it built out year to year. You know, you know where you want to go, where it's expected to go, where what are the things you want to accomplish. So, let, let me hear some of your goals, man. Sure. Um, I want to grow uh, by. I always uh, mess up with these types of uh, exponential numbers, but the. I want to double my size every year for the first five years. Um, and then in year six, the tank itself is getting patented right now. Um, so I'd like to start licensing um, that technology probably around year six. So eventually I can sit back on my butt and uh, collect royalty payments and uh, all good. <laughs> That's probably fair. grow some oysters too. That's fair. That's fair. Um, man, that's that's awesome. So what's been the biggest, um, because you're dealing with some crazy things, some new, some new, new steps. What's been the, the biggest learning curve? Uh, I think there are two of them. The first is algae control. Um, the tank in the first couple of prototype iterations, um, it's all about knowing exactly how much feeds these guys are going to need. Uh, if we feed them too much, um, it gets a little out of control in the sump portion of the tank. Uh, and then things don't look very appetizing. Uh, so uh, I learned that very early on. Um, feed is uh, something you need to pay very good attention to. Um, I mean, the same can be said for any closed system, right? I mean, you need to pay attention to your, your ambient conditions, temperature, salinity. Uh, second one um, was, I think, the expansion piece. Going from a startup uh, in R&D, essentially, um, to a commercial production company, there isn't really a whole lot of support in between the two. I mean, there's a lot of money out there for startups, right? Um, or not not a lot of money, but there's opportunities like accelerators and stuff like that. Um, and there's certainly investment opportunities for larger companies. Uh, but if you fall in between any of those two, there's not a whole lot of resources for you. So you sort of have to bootstrap your way through it by selling trout. Um, or by uh, doing other things. Um, so I think that was the, the next biggest challenge is just being able to scale up. And I mean, that's not just um, specific to upland aquaculture. I know in Maine, you're either small, like mom and pop, uh, you and your brother or your sister, or you're huge. Uh, there is not a whole lot of in between because in order to get past that next step, you need more, more revenue. To get more revenue, you need more staff. To get more staff, you need more product. And it's just this big doom loop. Um, so this system was designed to essentially assist smaller companies to limit some of their labor costs, or at least move some of their current labor from menial tasks to more productive tasks on the farm. Um, and that'll help them in the long run become one of those larger companies, if they so choose. Right, right. Um, it's, it's good you added that in there because I know some oyster companies just are really content mm -hmm. and where they're at. Absolutely. You know, you know what? This is enough work for me. This is 
me and my helper can help. I mean, you know, do this and I don't want to get any bigger. I don't want to do anything else like where I'm at. Um, the other good thing about this is, I mean, not only are you giving the, the farmer extra hand out, hand up or a leg up rather, um, but like you're, um, you're, you're beating the, the acidification game, right? Because now you won't have to worry about that. So I guess what got you into the science of it? Like you said you were, what was your job before? Um, I was with the Maine Coastal Zone Management Program, which is uh, everything in the ocean but fisheries regulations. So it's kind of an odd mix. So how'd you get into that? Like, what'd you, what did you study in school? Um, I went to uh, University of Rhode Island. Well, I got my undergraduate in Orono. Um, I went to the University of Rhode Island for a degree in uh, marine affairs. So it's sort of like a mix of policy and science. Mm. Um, and then got a job with the state of Maine. Uh, started the state seafloor mapping program a while back because um, Maine is it's a large state comparative uh, to the rest of New England, um, but it's very sparsely populated. Uh, there's only a little over 1.3 million people up here, so it's not like uh, it's not a big state in terms of population. Um, and we hadn't really dedicated a whole lot of time to really trying to understand the changes that were happening in the Gulf of Maine. Um, so C4 mapping was sort of that base step. You need to understand what the bottom of the ocean looks like if you're going to start making assumptions about how to manage it. Um, and Maine has had a lot of offshore wind proposals up here as well. So that sort of was important if we we're going to make an informed decision about siting an offshore wind turbine. Um, from there, we started doing some benthic classification. Uh, so looking at like what's in the, the, the top, you know, meter of um, the substrate under the water and trying to figure out how many critters were in there, what types of critters they were. Um, and that sort of informed this entire classification scheme when you combine that with C4 mapping data. So you have this great little map of the Gulf of Maine that shows you, yeah, this, this spot probably has a lot of worms in it. This spot probably has some cohogs in it. Um, this spot is made of mud. Um, this spot might be good for lobster. Uh, and I think when I hit year 10 with the state, I started to think maybe pushing paper for the rest of my life isn't something that I really want to do. Um, sort of started having kids. Um, and as cliche as it sounds, I sort of wanted to be the change um, that I wanted to see. And I just wasn't seeing that um, in the state agency. So uh, opened up the company and uh, been moving forward ever since. Made it through COVID. That's a big one. <laughs> that's huge. That's huge. A lot of I'm not going to say the P word. You guys know what I'm talking about. Starts with a P, ends with an ivet. But you, you guys, um, you guys made it and that's great. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about um, the algae blooms along with the acidification, but what does the algae bloom essentially do to oysters? Uh, it'll remove oxygen from the water. Um, last year, uh, in the town south of mine in Brunswick, Maine, um, there was a massive algae bloom. Um, I mean, the surface temperatures were 80 degrees or something ridiculous like that. And that's going to promote uh, an algae bloom and the way algae eats. It's a process called respiration where they, they take oxygen from the water. Um, and so they're essentially limiting the amount of 
O2, uh, which is going to have a direct impact on your oysters if they're in that particular embayment. Um, and you've seen suffocation events. I also do some, some uh, marine consulting. I do marine resource assessments. So I go out in mudflats and count critters. And uh, I'm really anxious to see what this summer is going to look like um, because of last year's temperatures and the, and the most likely inevitable die off of a lot of our soft shell clam population up here. Um, so fingers crossed, it's not as bad as I think it's going to be, but uh, I'm not hopeful. what so what happens if you are right uh from like a regulatory standpoint like in maine if a town has an approved shellfish um ordinance they can mm -hmm. sort of manage their own shellfish flats so in this case if you know i'm out there in the flats and they're everything's either dead or there's aren't any harvestable plans uh the only thing we can really do at that point is either shut down an embayment or we can limit the number of licenses for the fishery so we can drop them from last year's level, uh, which yeah. obviously isn't very popular. <laughs> right. But I mean, sometimes it's necessary. Do you think that would ever be an option for like, uh, you know, Chesapeake Bay oysters to go up there? Or do you think that um, would be around the time where you start, um, you know, leasing your things out or whatever, you know, whatever you call that? I think it'll probably be more appropriately the latter, what you just suggested with the leasing. Um, mm -hmm. When I first started doing my business plan, uh, I was really racking my brain about how this would even work or why it would be beneficial to a state like Louisiana, right? I mean, it's, you don't get the winners like we do up here. Um, but the oil spills, the hurricanes, uh, the uh, natural disasters that happen down there, um, this is a way to protect some of that product. Well, I appreciate you taking time out and uh, talking to me, man. And, uh... If I have any other questions, I will reach out for sure. But I think we talked about a lot and I got a better idea of what's going on. And that's cool. Um, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in these next couple of years, honestly. Honestly, the next year and a half. So right right now, do you have like oysters that are um, in the process or like when will this process start? No, I've had oysters in the tank for the last two years, um, though they've gone back out. So right now I'm just assembling everything because I need to start moving it out to uh, the city of Bath, which is two towns over from me uh, with new buildings. Um, so I'm going to start putting everything together, hopefully next month. And I'd like to have my first oyster cohort in there by September um, and then just start cranking away. So what's that look like? Like, reach, like are oyster farms going to just know to reach out to you? Or are you just going to be sending out? Or contact and oyster farms. Like, what is that going to look like getting your your customers, your clientele? So the community in Maine, aquaculture, shellfish, or shellfish aquaculture is pretty tight knit. Um, there are only about four hundred plus leaseholders or license holders with the, the State Department of Marine Resources, so they're pretty easy to get in touch with. Um, my first year, while I was building the first prototype, uh, I did a market survey, so I reached out to most of the uh the, the permit holders in the state um and ask them about their needs their biggest expenses uh you know what they thought about recirculating aquaculture their thoughts on that um, so i have a pretty decent uh, client list that i can call from uh though my first year i'm pretty much booked already um i've got one large farm who essentially wants to take all of my stuff or all of my capacity 
Um, and I've had a couple of co-ops already reach out as well. Um, so I'm not too worried about finding customers. It's just space thing. It's uh, a constant issue up here. And I'm, I'm competing with uh, another relatively new industry in Maine uh, that also grows things indoors and needs lots of wide open space and water and electricity. Um, and they have a lot of cash. So every time I find a large building, I would get beat to the punch. Um, fortunately, this building I just bought is in a marine zone. So uh, that particular industry couldn't beat me to it this time. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to guess <laughs> and say it's going to be something medicinal. Yeah, it's also uh, adult use legal up here now as well. So not just medicinal. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, well, good luck, man. What's next? Like, are you, are you, um, like looking to do anything else? Like any other, I guess maybe, or do you guys have like a, um, a sea vegetation issue or like, do you guys have our kelp? I don't know. Can you do kelp inside? No, I, don't, I mean, you probably could, but I mean, <laughs> not, I don't think it would be economical. Right. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but a lot of people do kelp up here. I mean, that's really taken off in Maine. Um, I'm going to look at urchins next. Uh, there's a huge market in uh, Southeast Asia in particular for urchins. And Maine used to have a huge urchin fishery, but we, mm. like most things, destroyed it in the early 90s. And uh, this university has been trying to bring it back um, in their aquaculture facility up in the uh, in Franklin, Maine, but um, you know, not only would they be a viable piece of the economic puzzle, but they could also clean my sump tanks for me, uh, which would mm. help, right? I'm multi-trophic, good stuff. Yeah, that's a full loop right there. Nice. Um, dang. Yeah, no doubt, man. Good luck to you, man. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes and. I'm excited to come up there and visit so I can get me some uni, you know. Yeah, you ever make it up here? <laughs> um, like I said, I came last year um right. for um uh, we were on our way to Canada and we stopped in there. Um, but I, I definitely want to come back to Maine. Maine was so peaceful. Like I felt like and my wife, she wants to vacation to Florida and South Beach. I'm like, put me by the water. I want to go back to Maine. I want to like, it was just so peaceful and everybody was nice and cool. And I don't want to say, no, I was going to say hippie. I didn't want to say hippie, but hipsters, like everybody was just like, cool, like super chill. They just want to have a good time. Yep. You know what I mean? They just want to have a good time, relax and eat oysters. I'm cool with that. That's my type of people. <laughs> so. It's a great state. Um, I definitely wouldn't trade it. I've lived in four different states and this is by far, uh, place i want to stay and raise my kids so, yeah that's yeah awesome. so convince your wife to come back no she's she got she got to come up there like we got to take a trip up there and um i think that'll that'll be the if i if i give her the same trip that i had i think that would do it because like i said we did some farm tours we ate at some great restaurants and just chilled and had a good time with people good people um that's gonna do it that's that hook line and sinker as they said February is a different story. <laughs> Not a lot of fun. <laughs> no doubt. Maybe that's when she'll get her uh, South Beach and, you know, Florida. And, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I got I to I shuck some more oysters for all that. Uh, we'll see. All right, man. Appreciate the conversation. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your uh, involvement, your 
you're putting your foundations in here, man, and just making things better. And I love it, man. Nice yeah, thanks a ton for reaching out. I really appreciate it. For sure, for sure. All right, man. Be safe. All right. And you as well.